What's going on, family? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors at Renaissance. So grateful that you have tuned in with us for our online service. Before we get into today's message, I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are accessible to us. So in these moments, Lord, we pray that we would hear from you, that you would draw us closer to you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So the past few weeks, I have been going to my parents' house and going down memory lane with some of the stuff from my childhood. I found some stuff that I'm proud of, and I found some other stuff that I'm not so proud of. I'm not so proud of some of the clothes that I wore in the 90s. Uh, to be very clear, I made some very horrible choices uh, in my fashion game. Uh, but back then, you couldn't have told me anything. I thought that I was absolutely killing it. I was proud, however, of some of these trophies that I had growing up. Uh, some of these are for academics, some of these for baseball, for, for basketball. And I got all of these before participation trophies were a thing. I got mine the old fashioned way with my dad yelling at me from the stands, telling me to run harder and do more. Now, I'm not saying that I am a superior athlete. I'm not saying that I am just like Derek Jeter. However, I think we kind of do have some things in common they don't just pass out third place Little League trophies to anybody. I'll let you be the judge of, of that. Now, throughout my life, and especially with playing, playing sports, there's been a lot of times that I've gotten trophies. I've gotten things to commemorate my accomplishments. And here's what a trophy is. A trophy is a physical, durable reminder of a specific achievement and serves as a recognition of value. Now, imagine for one second if you would catch me in the streets one day walking around with trophies that I got when I was in sixth grade, or if you saw me at Harlem Tavern one day eating outside and on the table next to me, I had a trophy. You would probably look at me like I lost my mind. Now, if you saw me doing that, it would make no sense whatsoever because all of us know that these accomplishments that I, I have, that I've, that I've made, it would be pretty ridiculous to attach my value to that. Now, fortunately, I don't make a habit of dragging around my fifth grade trophies to impress people, although I am kind of doing that right now. But what I do actually a lot of times is in my mind, I, I look to the trophy case of my accomplishments, specifically as it pertains to my relationship with God. And a lot of times I look to the things that I've done, my accomplishments and my achievements to give me value with God. Now, I don't do it with strangers anymore, but I, I do it a lot of times as I try to understand what is it that would make God receive me, that would make God happy with me, that would make God love me. Now, nowadays it's not baseball or, or basketball or karate. Now I have different trophies. So I read my Bible for a half an hour this morning. That's a trophy. Um, I, I've Went to the protests, right? So I know all the things that are going on and I'm involved, I'm, I'm involved in activism. Uh, I'll say this one because we have kids watching. I'll, I'll say it like this. Uh, I didn't have relations with people that I'm not supposed to be having relations with. That's another trophy. I didn't get into the argument with the troll on Twitter. That's a big trophy. And this is a big one. I'm preaching a sermon, right? That's a, that's a big trophy. So in my brain, I still have this way of, in my head, going on and on and on about the achievements that I've made in order to feel valuable to God. Now, I know that I'm not alone uh, in doing this. 
And one of the challenges of doing that is that the flip side of this is also true. When you attach your value to your accomplishments, at times you feel really good. But the flip side is also true. I have felt and I oftentimes do feel just unworthy to God because I can't look to my trophy case with with pride and, um, and, and reverence to think all the things that I've done when I have missed the Bible reading, when I did get into the argument with a person on Twitter, when I'm not gracious, when I'm not generous with my money, and I just feel at times really unworthy to God. Now, some of you are, are here right now. You have done things in your life that make you feel that it will be literally impossible for you to ever develop a trophy case impressive enough to value and matter to God. And for some of you, you're at that place right now. You've done things that are so bad that you don't think that you can ever make up for it. Now, some of us, as we are processing these things of why we even do this in the first place, I think there's a couple of reasons, even though it's ridiculous, I think there's a couple of reasons that we do this, that we attach our value and our meaning to God, to our accomplishments. For one, it's just easier to measure, right? So for the, first, for the most part, you know how good you're doing, uh, particularly if we compare ourselves to, to other people. But two, and this one is even more important, it keeps you in the driver's seat of your own spiritual life, right? So if it's up to me and my accomplishments, then I'm in control. My destiny is in my hands and I don't have to trust someone else to do anything for me. One of the challenges with this is at the root of every sin in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is a sin called autonomy. This is what our foreparents, Adam and Eve, got them kicked out of the garden. God gave them parameters and boundaries, and they wanted to do it their own way. Now, the third reason that we do this, even though it's really unhelpful and unhealthy in our lives, is the way that we understand God is kind of just based on religion. Now, religion, it doesn't matter which one you pick, um, they all have the same format. And here's the format of religion. Number one, you should do this. Number two, you don't do it. And number three, as a result of not doing it, you are now in trouble with God. Now, a lot of us think that to live and to follow Jesus means that we have to approach God and approach Jesus with this formula. And we spend entirely too much time thinking about our spiritual journey through the lens of religion. And it's this never-ending pursuit of developing a pristine trophy case that we can present to God so that we will matter. Now, here's the challenge with that, and here's what gets me uh, in so much trouble so many times, and here's what unsettles me, and here's what, in so many ways, sabotages my relationship with God. It's that I'm never settled. I'm never relaxing. Because if it's up to me, if it's up to how well I'm doing, then there's never a day that I can take off and relax and just simply trust God. So what is the alternative? Fortunately for us, scripture gives us something much better than a trophy case, and it gets to the heart of what Christianity is, and it's much different than religion. It's a completely different way that we can find justification, which is the theological term for which we can understand our relationship to God. Now, all of us want God to, to justify us, and this gives us a much better place to look for that justification, that right standing that we can have with God. So it comes to us from a man named Paul, and we're back in the book of Philippians, finishing this letter uh, after having taken a, a brief break. And this word comes to us from Philippians 3, 
And here's what Paul says. He says, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are of the circumcision, the ones who worship God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Here's what Paul says. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that from God based on faith. Paul says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So in this scripture, Paul gives us a much better place to look than ourselves. But he first starts off with a warning, and I want you to take this to heart. It might not make sense to you the first time you read it, but hopefully as we unpack it, it will. So he starts off this chapter with a warning, and he says in verses 1 and 2, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write you again about this is no trouble for me, but it is a safeguard for you. And here's the warning. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, Paul has some pretty strong words here. What is he talking about? He's not talking about people uh, who are committing crimes or anything like that. He's When he calls people evildoers and mutilators of the flesh, he's talking about a group of Jewish Christians. And these Jewish Christians are people who are telling everyone that in order to be right with God, you first have to, in addition to trusting Jesus, you also have to be circumcised. So they were adding an additional circumstance for you to be right with God. It was Jesus plus get circumcised. Jesus on his own, what they were teaching was, was not enough. So Paul comes in to say, watch out for these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh, because they are confusing the true message of Christ. They misunderstood this message, which we misunderstand so often, which is that we are justified through faith and faith alone. So Paul was warning this group of people, and he's saying, hear me, the biggest threat you and I can have to any relationship with God is adding an additional uh, requirement on top of putting our faith in Christ. Now, some of us do this, maybe not physically, but many of us are self-mutilators in the way that we beat ourselves up for our, uh, our, our mistakes and our sins. Now, you might not cut yourself physically, but many of us feel like we can't be forgiven unless we like really, really, really beat ourselves up. So we go harder and harder on ourselves. And even if we read a scripture that says that God has given us free uh, forgiveness, free to us and costly to Christ, we don't feel like it's enough. 
So we feel like we have to pay for it by feeling really terribly. And the more terrible we feel, then finally we feel like we can uh, be accepted by God. So Paul uh, continues this uh, passage of scripture. And as he's talking, uh, he says these words in verse three. He says, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God, who boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Here's what he says. Although I have reasons uh, for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So here's what Paul is doing. Paul is showing us his old trophy case. He says, y'all, I was circumcised on the eighth day, right? So I'm not new to this. I have been rocking with God and God's people since I came out of the womb. He says, I'm of the nation of Israel. I am from God's chosen people. And not just am I from the nation of Israel, but I am from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew born of Hebrews. It's basically like if you meet somebody from New York and they say, I'm not just from New York, I'm from Harlem. So I'm from the best area of the best city of the world. And he continues with his trophy case regarding zeal, persecuting the church and regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. I studied and I did all of the right things. And here's what Paul is getting at. And here's what I want us to pay attention to. All of us have this tendency and this temptation to look back on all of our trophies to give us confidence for our present and hope for the future. That since we have all of these wonderful things that we have done, then we will be justified. Paul is telling us, I have been down that road. I have more trophies than any of you do. And I'm telling you, this ain't it. So Paul is telling us, and he's putting all of this together. And he's saying, listen, I have all of these trophies. They're shined up. I've done all of these things. And all of these things, as his words are, they're dung. They're garbage compared to the righteousness that is offered to us and that is available to everyone who places their faith in Christ. Paul continues in verse seven. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, all of this stuff, everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Now, there's a couple of things about all of our accomplishments, no matter how impressive you think they are, uh, how crazy it is for us to put and to attach our value to these things, particularly as it pertains to our value to God. One of these reasons are our accomplishments, no matter how great they are, they are all incredibly fragile. There's a story about Whitney Houston, uh, the greatest singer of all times, arguably, uh, right when she was on set at The Bodyguard. So this is her first movie, her movie debut. And um, Kevin Costner at her funeral told this story that on the first day on set of The Bodyguard, when she was getting ready to uh, go on, on screen, uh, he went back to look for her and he couldn't find her anywhere. As everybody was, was, was looking for Whitney Houston, he finally found her and she was sitting in front of a mirror looking sad. She was peering into the mirror and wondered aloud, 
Do you think people will like me, she said. Do you think I'm good enough? Do you think I am enough? Now, if Whitney Houston's voice ain't good enough, ain't nobody's voice good enough. Whitney Houston is arguably one of the greatest singers to have ever lived, and her accomplishments, as profound and beautiful as they were, they weren't enough, they were, they were fragile. They made her so vulnerable to the present moment to wonder out loud whether or not she was good enough. And all of our accomplishments, no matter how good it is, will make us wonder, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Goodness always seems to be so elusive. Now, not only is our goodness elusive, and no matter how well you have done yesterday, our accomplishments, what you have done for God, what you do for other people, they are all temporary. Phil Jackson, the coach, the, uh, the, the former NBA coach, probably said it best when he was talking about Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and what drove their determination to win at all costs. And it's also the same impulse inside of us that drives us to try to collect these spiritual trophies. And here's what Phil Jackson said. He said, you're only a success the moment you do a successful act. So these acts have to be repeated all the time. You are only a success while you're doing the successful act. And if your relationship with God is based on how many trophies you are collecting, then you're valuable only when you're winning those trophies. If your relationship with God is based on how well you're doing reading your Bible, then you're valuable only when you're reading your Bible. If your relationship with God is based only on how well you're praying or doing any number of things, then you are valuable and you're good with God only when you're doing those things. What Jesus has come to do is not to give us more religious things to do. What Jesus has come to do is so much better than that, and it's something that I forget about often. And here's what Jesus tells us in John 1, his purpose in our life, what he has come to do. It is not to give you a list of more things to do to earn it on your own. He has come to make us children. So in John 1, it says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive them, him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Now, the goal in all of this, the goal in all of this is that you and I would find God not based on our accomplishments, but based to us, given to us based on a relationship given to us by God and his grace. Now, in all of this, I also do want to be clear about what I am, what I'm not saying, right? So I'm not saying it doesn't matter what you do. There are, there are some people who believe that God will just love us no matter what, and it doesn't matter what, uh, what we do, and I'm definitely not saying that. When I talk about God's grace, I mean that God in his grace, he is never opposed to our effort, but he is always opposed to us earning. Let me say that again. God is not opposed to our effort, but God is opposed to us feeling like our effort has ever earned us a relationship with him. So today, as we talk about justification and what it means to, to value, to, be, to matter to God, uh, it's not based on what we're doing, but we're not saying that what we do doesn't matter. Now, the third reason why it's a terrible idea to, to base your relationship with God based on your trophies is it kind of just leads us to comparison. And oftentimes when we look to our trophies, we're always making the wrong comparison. Usually, when we try to figure out how good we're doing, uh, where we stack in this whole race, 
We base it on how well we're doing compared to other people. Now, the Christian worldview says that that is actually the wrong standard, that goodness in the Bible is ultimately a matter not of our neighbor's behavior, but the character of a holy and a sinless God. And that changes the game. I remember when I was in college and in one of my political science classes, the teacher told us in the beginning of the semester that sometimes they grade, um, sometimes the tests they give are really hard. So uh, depending on how everyone does, they might grade on a curve. And I got one test back and I didn't do too well on it. So I went around the class trying to find out what everybody else did. And I found that one person, that one nerd that ruined it for everybody because they got like a 99 on the test where all of us got like 70s on it. And what they did by acing it is they, they busted the curve for everyone. No longer could we go to the teacher and say this was an unfair test because they aced it. Now, fundamentally, this kid's perfection changed the standard. And in many ways, this is why Jesus was rejected in his day and why he's rejected now. Jesus is the one who came and he aced the test. So if we were to compare ourselves to other people, we might feel okay. But when you factor in the standard that God truly demands, none of us would, would ever reach it. Not based on how good we are compared to other people, but if you were to base how good we are compared to God. In him, there is no darkness because he is light. Now, I was thinking about how this worked for my own life. And in a lot of ways, I would like to think that I am a, a generous person. Now, I don't review who gives what at Renaissance, but I know that my wife and I are, are very generous, not just to Renaissance, but also to a number of other organizations and to people. Every year, we try to increase our generosity, and it would be pretty easy for me to try to pat myself on the back if I were to compare myself to some people. But here's the thing about my generosity. My generosity is always to people that I feel are deserving. It's always to organizations that I believe in. But God's generosity is completely different. God's generosity is so much bigger and better than mine. And here's what God's generosity is like. God's generosity, he gives his best to people who don't deserve it. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, for a good person. Though for a good person, perhaps, someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we stopped sinning, not after we measured up. God gave his very best, the spotless son of God, to us while we were still sinners. Now, if I start to compare my generosity to God's generosity, I would come out sorely lacking. So one of the problems with us trying to amass our trophies or that we compare ourselves to the wrong people. If I compared myself to God, I would come out like Isaiah in Isaiah 64 and 6 saying, all of my righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So Paul gives us a much better approach than our own accomplishments for how you and I can find justification, how we can find acceptance, how we can find love for us. And it's not based on us, it's based on God. And here's what he says in verse nine of Philippians three. It says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, and the law are the deeds that we do, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God based on faith. 
here's what Paul is getting at. There are two different types of righteousness that you and I can have. One is based off of our resume and our trophies that we have done in our life. Or the other one is a righteousness, a right standing that we can have with God that comes on the basis of faith. This is what theologians call justification by faith. Now, this is all over the Bible. This is not just in this one passage of scripture. And if you think about what Jesus has come to do, it's so much bigger and better than just to give us a, a list of things to do. And if you've been to a membership class at Renaissance, you might have heard me tell this story. But all throughout the Bible, Jesus says that the entirety of scripture is about him. So when we read the Bible, it's not about you. It's not about me. It is not the basic instructions before leaving earth. That is a terrible description of what the Bible is. The Bible is a story about God and what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. And as a result of what he has done, he calls us to view him and ourselves in that light. Jesus says this scripture in Luke 24, and it's one of the most crucial scriptures in the Bible for us to understand God and our relationship to him. Here's what it says in Luke 24. It says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So what is Jesus saying in that, in that verse? He's saying all of these scriptures talk about me. And if you were to read the Bible through that lens, you would see just how much this concept of justification by faith, that we are accepted not based off of what we do, but based what off, off of what God has done through Christ. Uh, one of my favorite examples of this is a story that many of you have heard before, the story of David and Goliath. Now, growing up, I heard that story told that, you know, if you have faith like David, God's going to make all your haters, even the Goliath, even the big ones, they're all going to come down. So you should be brave and know that God is with you. And to a certain extent, that is true. We should be brave and know that God is with us. But the point of David and Goliath is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how brave you are. It's about justification by faith. What is happening in the story of David and Goliath? You have an unlikely hero that there is this battle that's about to take place. And there is this Philistine giant named Goliath. He's so big and so scary that everyone is unable and unwilling to go against him. So a proposition is made. The Philistines say, we'll have a one-on-one -on -one fight. If Goliath wins, we'll serve you. If you win, we'll serve you. So this one-on-one -on -one battle is going to settle the fate of everyone. So you choose your fighter, I'll choose, we'll, and we've already chosen Goliath. Many of the people there were terrified to do it. Finally, David, this, this uh, shepherd boy, hears about how Goliath is defaming the name of God. David gets incensed and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And David is determined to fight Goliath. At first, they try to give David, Saul's, who was a king, Saul's armor to fight against him. But this, this, this battle would not be fought in conventional ways. He wasn't going to take the armor of previous people before him. He was going to do it a much different way. This unlikely hero, this shepherd boy comes and he with his slingshot comes and takes down Goliath and he cuts his head off. We see this go back to even Genesis 3 where the, the scripture prophesies that the, the, the one coming through Eve, the savior of the world, would come and strike the head of the enemy. 
Now, what happened as a result of David killing Goliath? Everyone in the entire Israeli army, including the people who were terrified, on the sidelines, scared, taking a nap, they all got to celebrate as if they were the ones who got the victory, even though they did absolutely nothing to win it. They all got to go back, lifting David on their shoulders and celebrating as if they themselves had won the victory. Their justification, their right standing, their victory was not based off of what they did. It was based on what God did through David in that, in that text. When Jesus tells us that all, that all of scripture is about him, he's letting us know in so many different ways all throughout the, 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 the canon of scripture, all of the ways that you and I can see how we can live in this freedom, not based off of what we have done, but because of what God has done to give us the victory. You and I have right standing with God. We can have right standing with God, not based on us and our trophies and our own actions, but rather based on faith through Christ, the one, our unlikely hero, who went against the enemy of sin and death and conquered it on the cross. That is our justification. Now, if you are new to faith and you don't know where you stand and you don't know whether or not you've ever really placed your faith in Christ, here's what I want you to do. In the link in the description, there'll be a link for a connection card. I want you to click on that link and fill that out so that one of our pastors could follow up with you. Or you can actually just text us at 347-815-3720. And you can just text us the words next steps and one of the pastors will reach out to you to let you know how you and I, uh, how you can take that next step in your faith to put your faith in Christ away from all the things that you can do and have done and into Christ our King and our victor, the one who has accomplished it all already on our behalf. And for those of, those of you who have already placed your faith in Christ, this week I want you to work to relax. In some ways that sounds um, like it doesn't even make sense. I want you to work to relax. In scripture in John 6, people come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what must we do to inherit the kingdom of God? What do we need to do uh, to understand God. What do we need to do to be in right standing with God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God that you trust, that you believe in the one that he has sent. Some theologians have said that that word trust in that context means that you relax, that you trust. If you are feeling prideful this week, I want you to work to trust that it's not based on anything that you have done, but it's based on what Christ has done for us. If you're feeling apprehensive and always on the edge about how well you're stacking up today, I want you to work to relax, to trust God. Some of this looks like us simply reading scripture this week, reading through um, Philippians 3 over and over and over again, meditating on it, chewing it, getting it all out, and not simply um, allowing ourselves just to go with the flow. I want us to work to relax, to trust that we can trust in the one who was sent for us and our justification is based on him, not on us. And that's a much better place to be. Let me pray for us. So Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that this week and going forward, we would be able to diagnose the areas in our life that we are trusting in ourselves and we would place our faith and trust in Christ, in Christ alone. I ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.